Woohoo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. Happy Tuesday! It's Tuesday! And it's pretty much like a Christmas holiday Tuesday over yeah. here in the Roach household because we just had the most exciting thing happen to us, perhaps of the entire year. Perhaps of my entire life. Perhaps the biggest event in the universe since the very beginning of the Big Bang. How did this happen? I do not know, but actually I do. Uh, which is, last week I wrote an article on Killian Jornet. Uh the world-famous, kindest guy you've ever met, Killian Jornet. And it was on his training, and of course, he's classic Killian. He actually slipped into my DMs and messaged me, thank you, and in that message also shared with me uh, more info on his training that he's going to publish in a post uh, probably today at some point. And of course, Killian just happens to be the best guy in addition to being the best athlete. He is so nice. Also, that's a bit of a surprise. I kind of assumed that you slid into his DMs. (laughs) I never assumed. I'm just learning this information now, and it's mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, it has uh, took every ounce of willpower in my soul to not slip into Killian's DMs many times before this point. Was this your first communication with Killian? I think probably, yeah. I mean, we've responded to Twitter posts and stuff like that. But our first personal communication, um, which is a lot because, like, the my history with Killian goes back all the way to seeing his videos when I was in college and had just quit football and was thinking about what I was going to do next athletically because I knew I wanted to be an athlete forever. And just randomly, I saw his videos and the amount that that played a role in my future is kind of tough to overstate. Like it's just massive. And so it's just wild to have meet your hero and have them be the best ever. I was thinking the same thing. I feel like so often you meet heroes and it's like a letdown. And this is the exact opposite situation. We just met Killian. We talked to Killian and I am currently right now, my muscles are sore in my mouth because I'm been grinning from ear to ear. Yeah. And it was like truly, I mean, he, he exceeded expectations. Yeah. If you're listening. So we talk about training a lot at the start and UTMB. And then at the end, it transitions into the bigger topics. And he did it effortlessly. And it was so profound. And of course, Killian, you know, is this um, bastion of light in the world. But, um, you know, I didn't want to put that pressure on him to be that on the podcast. And I am now so motivated and so ready to go, not just in running, but in business as a father. Like, I'm so excited to have this kid and see how training evolves just like it did for Killian, which is when all of his breakthroughs happen. So I can't wait for you to hear this. He has a fierce dedication to the process of things. Yeah. And in the process, like clearly has a lot of fun. And I am so proud of you, David, because you brought up the fact that he wore white spandex shorts yes. at Western States. It did take, it took like, I don't know, 53 minutes at that point to get to work it into the interview. Yeah. But Killian had a great answer to it too. So we're going to be donning the white spandex shorts yeah. in honor of Killian ahead. You know, it's kind of surprising that it took 50 minutes for me to compliment his package. But, <laughs> you know, next time maybe I can move it up just a little bit. Um, so, uh, a couple things for you to know. One is that this training post that Killian is coming out with soon, uh, you need to read. Um, we'll link to it when it's out officially. Um, but it is, I think, groundbreaking in some ways. He has this mix of exercise physiology grounding and process oriented um, focus that is just like absolutely important to everyone listening to this podcast. It's rare to get the long-term insight of an athlete of Killian's caliber. Killian is a legend. And now we have this multi-year progression of how his training has gone and a documented, he's been very thorough in documenting how he feels, his approach, his like training methodology or lack thereof as it relates to strength training. He had a great answer on strength (laughs) training in this podcast ahead. And I thought it was instructive. In fact, I feel like research researchers should be clamoring over Killian at this point because he is, I think, for me he he's so inspirational to me because he has this incredible duality where he loves nature and the mountains so much and then right next to that like that free loving spirit of the mountains is this appreciation and just overall approach to science where he goes he deep dives into science and i think it's rare to get to have that duality and marry the two of those in such a unique way and he does that yeah and for him they're just connected like the the love brings in the science because of this thing that you're loving like and i think that that um, paradigm is so important for every athlete and um, not just athletes that are trying to be the best ever or compete for professional contracts, but also every athlete that's just getting out to walk three miles on the treadmill like Megan did this morning and absolutely crushed at 32 weeks of pregnancy. And so I think no matter who you are, you're going to find a lot of inspiration from this podcast and also uh, a take on being the best ever that doesn't have to come from 
rooting against others. Like he is the ultimate supporter, not just of us as evidenced by this podcast, but my guess is everyone he's met. And I've heard so many stories about him behind the scenes that back that up. So this guy's the real deal. He's He also is the real deal because he gave us access to this blog, which was password protected. So yeah. he gave us his password. I saw that password in the email and I was like, that's going to be my new password for every single <laughs> thing I use passwords for in the future. My passwords are all kind of iterations of David's name and things like love or bang yeah. or the best. <laughs> and now it's just going to be Killian's password because it's they're good vibes. My password's going to be Killian's package. Uh, <laughs> so it works. Okay, so for a background, for those that don't know, he we are not joking. He is the greatest of all time in uh, trail running. Course record holder at Zagama, at Sierra Zanol, the two biggest subultra mountain uh, races. He has multiple wins at UTMB, multiple wins at Hard Rock, wins at races like the Pikes Peak Marathon, win at Western States. I mean, you go through his tr- uh, history and he's won every race there is. He's also a fantastic skier. Um, there are no limits to his accomplishments. And then in addition, we did a deep dive on his training. It was fun to go into the weeds on his training. And then in addition to that, uh, we picked his brain on all things life. So yeah. he does, he's very well accomplished in life. He's um, hard at work at the business called Normal, which is um, a running shoe company that's focused on sustainability. Yeah. He is only worn three pairs of shoes in this entire training cycle which is mind-blowing and is like going back to last year probably seven times less than the number that you've worn in this training cycle in the last two weeks (laughs) we have goals we have big goals yeah uh he's a dad of two and he's just an all-around great human yeah so there's a million questions we wanted to ask and we tried to narrow it in on utmb on some training specifics and then broaden it out to business and family life um, but we're hoping we get to talk to him again because it was just really meaningful to get to meet not just a legend of sport, but like a legend of being a good person. And I'm taking away from this, not anything about training theory. Well, actually I'm taking a lot from training theory. Lots on training theory. I'm going to change a few of the things I do just based on the things Killian said, but I want to be a better person tomorrow because of talking to Killian today. Oh, we're definitely going to talk to him further because we're going to Norway. After this, I'm convinced. I want to live the Norway lifestyle. I want to feel this full-scale process motivation. We're going to show up to a race he's doing in white spandex (laughs) with little baby boy Roach in tow, and I'm pumped. Is baby boy Roach going to be in white spandex too? Of course. Yeah, just a full family. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're going to make Killian onesies at this point. Well, I hope you all enjoy this as we all make love to the mountains with Killian Freak. Killian Jornet, it's so good to see you here on the Some Work All Play podcast. It is an absolute honor. Thank you for being here. Seriously, thank you so much. You are an all-time legend of the sport, and you've actually become a legend of our podcast. I would love to know the number of times that we've referenced your name in the podcast. I'm sure it's almost like 50% of episodes at this point. Um, I'm currently pregnant, actually 32 weeks pregnant, and we've even talked about naming our, our son Killian, and we're so excited to dive into it all today. Yeah, so how are you feeling after? after your legendary performance at UTMB or a couple of weeks later here? Well, feeling good. And first of all, thank you for, for having me in your podcast and congratulations. Like it's a, it's an amazing adventure that it's coming to you. And like, uh, we have like two, two young daughters too. And it's just like, uh, I, I would say, yeah, it, racing, it's fun, but that adventure that is coming like, uh, for you, it's just like an amazing thing every day. So yeah, congrats on that. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. We're so excited. I mean, you and between you and Emily and your parenting style, we're just, we really hope to emulate a lot of what you do. And actually we have a number of questions on that ahead of just how, you, how the heck do you balance training and parenting and normal and all that yeah. you do? It's, it's wildly <laughs> impressive. So, um, I mean, you're a legend in shore running and ultra running, and then also in all these other fields as well. No, yeah, it's, I, I think it's just like, you, you will figure out, but it's just like logistics. Like, I'm, I'm very happy that my wife, she's like very Swedish on that way that she's super <laughs> structured. So like, we plan things way in advance to be able to work, train and, and spend time with the kids. So like, yeah, you, you cannot like just rush and do things like on the on the fly, but you really need to plan. But then it works well. Like, if you plan it well, you you have time for everything. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Like we were reading in this amazing post that you have coming out soon. It might even be out when this podcast gets released on your 2022 training that you and Emily alternate your training uh, timelines in the mornings so that one person can train when the other is watching the kids and then the other trains. Um, and that's very cool. And I think really inspirational. Have you found that balancing the parenting aspect with training to be the best in the world? Has that been challenging for you? Has that been an adjustment period? Well, like I would say for me, haven't been that challenging on a way, like, because like 
I, I was, I really understood that I needed to reduce the amount of hours of training, especially, and, and just like to be more efficient. Um, then like, I think it's very different for women, uh, on the way that the, like for men, like we, we spend time with the kids, but we don't have like all the, the recovery from pregnancy that that takes time and it's challenging both like physically and mentally. So I think, uh, for, for Emily, it's been much harder on that way to get back to, to high level. But, um, I think on that way of the challenge, it was more to, to, yeah, you need to accept that you cannot just like wake up and, and go out and, and, and do whatever you want and come back, but just like say, okay, I have these three or these four hours for training today. So I need to, to do it at that time. It, it done. Yeah. It's not yeah. about being at the perfect time that you plan for going training, but you just take what you have and, and make the best of it. And I think like personally, like I have done my best seasons in the last years when I had kids. <laughs> so like, it means that probably it works well. Yeah. I was just about to bring up that point. You're the season that you've had this year has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, we, you were one of our top picks heading into UTMB. We were like, we just have to bet on Killian. You always bet on Killian. Even after COVID. Even after COVID, wow. even after, you know, some of the things that you mentioned in terms of changing up training with, with parenting and how are you feeling post UTMB? I'm sure that was just a wild, remarkable experience for you. Yeah, it, it's been like uh, very amazing this season in the way that the goal, it wasn't really like Hard Rock or Routine B or like Zigam or Sirocinal, but it was most like to try to to be performing well at short and long distance, like at the same season. And that was kind of, and then like the results of the race wasn't that important, but like I was very happy to say, okay, yeah, it's it's possible in that way to be able to to go to a short distance race and, 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 and perform well and to a long distance race and perform well. And that's what I'm the most proud of, of it. And, and also the recovery, it's been like the year where on ultra, like both on hard rock and after routine B recovery was so quick. Mm. Like it was, uh, two days after routine B I was back on running and, uh, seven days after routine B I did a local race here at 10 K and I was feeling like not hundred percent, but like I could push on a short race. So, I think it, uh, yeah, it was very interesting on this kind of more training perspective, uh, seeing the season and, and than than the results itself. Yeah, let's just jump into it. We have tons of questions that we want to ask you about, but what I wanted to mention first is that your progression from Hard Rock um, to Sierra Zanal to UTMB is one of the most amazing athletic achievements I've ever seen. And your post that's going to be published really soon is about training for short and long racing. Um, did you like know coming into this year that it was possible to balance that? Because I think conventional training wisdom might be, yeah, you can do them both, but you can't be the best at all of them. And you know, your performances at Zagama and Sierra Zanal were historic. And I mean, Sierra Zanal with COVID. Um, did you think it was possible? Was this an experiment for you? Like how was your mindset coming into it from a physiology and training perspective? Yeah. Like, uh, I thought it was possible. That's why I kind of like, uh, jump into, into it, but, uh, that it was hard to do it too, especially because it was also like, uh, um, I had done before, I think like, uh, one year, hard rock, surgical, Utim B, um, but that year I, I arrived super tired at the end of the season. That was 2017. And, um, and then like I did, uh, win hard rock and I did, uh, win Sears in all that year, but my performance like wasn't that good. Uh, it was just like enough to win, but not like being at top level, I would say. Um, and, and then this year I, I knew that, okay, uh, the level at all the races would be very high. So it need it cannot be just like uh, playing a bit on strategics to win the race. So yeah. I really need to deliver. So like to, to try to, to think about the training and, um, yeah, I, uh, I plan on the way that I was thinking I need to be in shape for short races. So like to try to do the, all the speed work and all the, the kind of, uh, yeah, short distance training, but at the same time, I want to have the endurance for long races and there. Mm -hmm. I was uh, mostly doing the, the, the distance, not through long days, but just like uh, with accumulation of sessions through the week. And, and also like based on experience, I did a hundred mile in February just to get the body a bit like 
some reminders about it. Mm. But the, the longest session I did before Hard Rock, it was like uh, I did one time six hours the week before Hard Rock, but if not, it was just like three, four hours maximum. Wow. And from Hard Rock to Team B, I, uh, yeah, the longest day, I think it was like four hours, like the week before Team B. And if not, it was even like two, three hours. So just to say, I, I don't need to do long days to, to get the endurance because I have it from the past. Yeah. But uh, just like focus on the short and do the distance through multiple sessions. That's incredible. And I think I saw in the post that you shared that part of that has become the transition to becoming a father. It's been harder to just stack those longer days that you really have to rely on some of those shorter efforts and possibly doubling to get the combination of those shorter efforts. How has that been in terms of a psychological mindset? We were talking heading into UTMB that I have never once doubted the name Killian Dronette heading into a race. Have you ever gotten to the start line of a race and had either like doubts in your minds or questions in your minds? mind as a result of kind of having to change up the gene, the training a little bit throughout parenting. And what has that been like for you? Yeah. Like I, I often enter races, uh, uh, with a lot of dubs. Like <laughs> I, I, I often doubt a lot about, uh, what's the moment, what's the strategy, what's the, how I will feel. And especially long distance, all the problems that they can occur. Um, but, um, on another way, like I know that I have done the, the training. I know that uh, even if it's problems there, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident on like what are my capacities and I'm very realistic and how I can play them. And then, yeah, it's mostly to be, to be confident about the training I'm done. And then on the race, like just to know that it will, it, it's, it's very rare that it, everything goes to plan, like <laughs> happens things and just be very yeah very comfortable with this unknown and that's like for example at UTMB this year like the day before the race I, I wasn't sure to participate yeah um, and then it was like okay yeah like uh, what's the worst case scenario like then I start and I feel very very bad and I need to, <laughs> to stop that's not a big problem like that's only like it's it's first world problem so like it's, it's yeah. not a big thing and then it was like, okay, let's see. And then like, uh, let's see through the race, how it goes. And I was, I knew that I was in very good shape from like uh, hard rock and from Jersey now. And, and then it was just, okay, how can I deal with the, 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 the effects from COVID? So it's more the muscles and, and try to be not to stress about the race that is coming, but say, just, just be confident about the work you have done. We were watching the uh, the coverage before the race, and we saw you were the only one in a mask. And I was like, "Good move, that's smart." Yeah. So, you know, to flash forward a little bit in UTMB, um, you know, speaking of the doubts, there was a moment where Jim pushed it on the down, Jim Walmsley, and you found yourself a good bit behind when Matthew Blanchard um, caught you, and you were, were you were together. For you, I mean, I saw in your post-race interview, you were saying that that was a moment of you know regaining your focus on the moment and being there. Was there a moment where you were just like, maybe this is COVID, maybe this isn't my day, um, maybe I'm just going to be playing for sixth place, or maybe I'm just going to try to finish this race? Was there a doubt at that moment for you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. When I would say kilometer 100, when Jim attacked, like we were running okay, we were running like uh, not pushing, but not uh, not slow. Mm -hmm. And then in that downhill, like Jim just like went went for it, like he was just pushing hard. And then I was thinking, okay, should I like follow him or should I like uh, stick to my plan when it comes to 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 energy? Um, mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, I try a bit to push, and then like uh, I was saying, no, I need to hold up, and it was a bit adapting on that. And and at that point, like I started to to feel bad, especially the downhills. All the race, uh, the muscles were very very weird. All the race, like uh, since the first uphill, so the long. The longest downhill on the race is from Grand Colferre down to to La Fuji. and and it was at that point, and I was feeling like super slow. And then like uh, it's also like a time of the day; it's like uh, just uh, in the in the early morning, so uh, it's uh, you are a bit sleepy. <laughs> and then like uh, the muscles were really hurting a lot, and I was thinking, okay, yeah, that's it's still like seventy k to go. Like uh, I will not gonna I'm going to make it. And it was just like all the negative throws that 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 goes during a ultra ultra mm -hmm. race, and 
And at that point, I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I will DNF in, in the next day at the station. And then, like, uh, Matthew passed me. And um, and I say, yeah, yeah, go for it. I feel I feel bad. Like, <laughs> I, uh, I cannot keep. And then I was thinking, okay, I just, like, stay with him. Like, try to, to, to stay with him until the next day at the station. And there I will see, yeah, what was the decision. Um, and eventually, just, like, the changing or say okay i need to follow him uh that changed the 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 focus on like being on negative thoughts to like okay i need to race and race go on and then like going to the next day the station it was this uphill and the uphill i felt great uh and, and i said okay yeah it's let's let's keep pushing but yeah at that point like i did i i think i don't know if it was like the the muscle it was the effects of COVID that uh, they say that it's uh, it's pretty damaging or if it was more psychologically that I thought that it was the effects of COVID or what it was. But uh, yeah, I think it's uh, in, in, in ultra races, like all these thoughts, they are always calm and you are yeah. trying to find why and, and what things are happening. And I don't think I, I will get the, the, yeah, the, the answer at the end, but uh, I think it's uh, part of like physical and then psychological like that uh, <laughs> drives you there. Throughout the race, actually, um, we were looking at your Coros watch data and we were able to access your heart rate. And you've done such a great job in training of recording that. And we've done a deep dive into your heart rate zones and um, kind of your overall approach to training. But throughout UTMB, were you watching your heart rate? I was noticing that it was a little bit higher in the first part of the race. You know, you're hitting 170 sometimes on the uphill climbs. And how does that, if you do watch your heart rate, how does that feed into like the overall psychological mindset of the race? Does that contribute to, you know, what you're thinking is, is this COVID? How am I feeling? Mm -hmm. Is my body okay um so what was that experience like for you in terms of heart rate yeah well i i didn't watch during the race uh um mm. or just like eventually like i i saw it but uh, i didn't watch it but i i knew how i was like i knew what was my rpa and, and probably my heart rate like uh from the experience of training and that was like the 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 goal it was to keep it like kind of uh on on an easy pace like uh for the the first two thirds of the race, um, and, and I think uh, at the beginning the, the sensations were like okay, but uh, especially downhill it was very bad uh, on the muscles, and also like uh, in the uphills I knew that uh, at Sierginal when I was pushing very hard like uh, Sierginal like I was going like all the race like up, or the first uphill higher than 180, 180 some. Wow. So then I, I I was feeling like um, uh, very bad, like on the like kind of around the lungs and and all the and all the chairs like uh -huh. uh, from COVID. So I was a bit worried about having the same uh, effects. But then I know that okay, this pace uh, to Team B, even if it's fast, like it's very very slow compared to a short race. Mm -hmm. So I was not worried about like okay, we will push and and I will reach these levels that I felt at Sierginal. Um, so I wasn't worried about going fast because it's never fast in ultra, but I was more worried about like how it will affect through the distance. Like if after like 10 hours or so, it will feel something. Um, but then actually after, uh, this part where I was feeling, uh, yeah, mostly like unmotivated and like all these negative thoughts, the last part of the race, I was able to, to push well. And so I think the, yeah, I didn't feel like physically, uh, or like on the muscles, yes, but not on the cardiovascular mm -hmm. system, anything, yeah. So one of the most interesting things about you is just hearing you talk, reading your writing, you are a physiological expert. You have pushed forward the ideas of training theory so much. And it's something we're really gracious for both as coaches and, you know, Megan is a researcher. Um, but you're also known as someone that has a really deep connection to the mountains and to the activity you're doing. Do you ever find that there's a conflict between, you know, wanting to know the numbers, wanting to know you know, your lactate, wanting to know what drives you physiologically and the connection you, that you have with the just pure act of being in the mountains, of skiing, of running, um, of just being present out there? Uh, not at all. And, and I think the opposite because like it's first like when you are uh, out there in the in, in the mountains, like you want to have this connection and it's also like that's also a connection that it's, it's uh, chemical or is like uh, uh, emotional and that's it's science like science it means it's this <laughs> and 
and then like when it comes to training like uh also like the, the, i i love to to analyze data but i know that we are not able to 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 record like we can record like heart rate and like uh uh lactate and temperature and like um i don't know like uh, oxygen saturation mm-hmm. uh, like glucose and a bunch of things but we are not able to 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 uh yeah to to find data from everything so at the end of the day like i think the rpa like the feeling if you have a like if you are experienced and you are accurate it can be more accurate than just reading to the heart rate or to the lactate because it's many things that we are we don't have the tools to to extract the data from but uh, at the end of yeah i think it's scientists to understand like also this connection with uh with the nature and with the environment and and to understand like when i'm training i don't look to to the data i'm just like focusing <laughs> on, on on the the feelings or in the about the the landscape or whatever and then when i'm home like it's when i try to analyze i love that science as love that's beautiful i love that and actually in full disclosure david and i use the term to refer to this like love of nature as making love to the mountains and <laughs> yes. i want it tattooed on my arm it says make love to the mountains um as a as a killing reference yeah, yeah, it's kind of our philosophy. And then also just combining that with a love of data at the same time. So it's kind of this this fascinating duality between the two of those. Is there a single metric? We look for our coaching and our physiology, we look at a lot of different metrics. Do you have a single or one or two metrics that you tend to rely on in terms of understanding your training and understanding where things are at? Um, it really depends of what the, the, the purpose of the session is like. Uh, I, I would say like if the purpose of the session is like metabolical um, adaptations, mm-hmm. then I will probably look more on into heart rate or I will look more into um, the, the the calories in, or the or, or the lactate if I'm doing some kind of, uh, of of more like special sessions. But if I'm doing like for example training about altitude, uh, like uh, on on when I'm going in, in high altitude or that, then like those metrics are like uh, they, they are meaningless because like mm-hmm. I can do like an effort and maybe I'm at uh, 90 or 100 pulls per minute but I'm like maybe at uh, 70% of uh, oxygen saturation mm-hmm. so then it's like okay that it's it's a very hard effort for the uh, for the body so I'm making adaptations on on the on the oxygen uh, saturation but not on the hurry so it's more like what the session it's uh is is four um and then the day by day like uh what i probably relate more like i look more it's um more on the recovery side so uh the hrv for like mm. uh that and that with um mood and and um and uh, rpa of of the feelings of the of the session and uh yeah yeah so we're catching I mean, that's amazing. We were actually writing about a study that did a very similar protocol. You probably even read it that came out in August. And I think you've pushed this forward so much. And as we're talking about how you've moved the field forward, especially at the elite level, we're catching a Killian that is like fully formed. You've been doing this for decade, decades now. Um, in that evolution process, what has been the biggest change that you've made in understanding your own training? Because, you know, for context, I remember back when I used to play American football, when I went to college, I saw a video of you in the mountains when you were a kid and seeing like, oh, that's what I want to do one day when I'm able to quit this sport. And sure enough, I did. And you inspired me. Um, but clearly there was a, that was a different athlete than you've become over time. And what has been the biggest step in that evolution in terms of training? Um, I would say like the, the biggest step it was probably, or the two biggest one when I was like 17 years old and I decided to train by myself to not Mm -hmm. have a coach. And that was basically because like at that point, like, uh, since 16 years old, I was with, a uh, coach, Maite Hernandez from the ski mountaineering national team. Mm -hmm. And, um, she was like, it was more formation. And at that point it was another coach that entered from uh, the ski national team, but it was very like, uh, kind of the, the, the protocols from like athletics. 
and it mm-hmm. didn't work for me. Like I was feeling I'm 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 not improving. I'm I'm wasting my time. I don't feel good doing this. And and I spent with him only like five months. And then I say, okay, I go by myself and I try to see what works for me. And since then, like I have been like I was training by myself and I was mostly since 2005 that year until 2018, my training was basically like long days mm-hmm. uh, without any fueling. Like uh, I was going out for 10 hours, don't bring anything. Oh um, and then like uh, doing the intensity on races, uh, mostly like I was racing a lot, both in skiing and on on running. So basically it was just like creating this big base of, of, uh, of volume and different intensities because also when I was racing, I was doing like from sprints and like uh, uh, relays in a ski mountainary that's like 10 minute races to like uh, ultras. Mm-hmm. So like trying to work on all that, but most it was like spend days in the mountains, uh, have like a lot of zone two. Like it was mostly <laughs> my training was like zone two kind of all the time for yeah. many years and then racing and recovering from races. And then the other biggest change, it's been like since 2019, I started to to be more um, probably also because uh, our first uh, daughter arrived and then we were like more on focusing on on, on, on being good on, on the time for training. Um, and then like I started to to find more specific training, probably like to do less racing uh, but like do more training. So like more, uh, specific, more intervals, more intensities playing on that. And then like this year also, like I have been starting to, to talk a lot and, and work with, uh, Jesus Alvarez Adams, that is a physiologist mm. from Spain and I'm talking with him about what are these small fine tunes, because my methodology, it works for my physiology, for my genetics, but then what are the things that I can improve? And that comes with fine-tuning the in terms of intensity in terms of workouts what it it was better for me i'm i'm curious because it seems like i mean your approach is incredibly dialed in it's incredibly methodological and it's neat to see you working with an exercise physiologist at the same time yet alongside this this highly like methodological approach to training is a more minimalist approach to things like strength training um or like things like physical therapy and has that been a process that's also evolved over time um what has been kind of your approach with that well i i did like strength training until I was 16, probably. <laughs> uh, that was like two times a week going to the gym. Um, and, and since then, like, no, like first, because I was thinking, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to spend time on the gym. I just want to go to the mountains. <laughs> and, and then I think now it's mostly okay. If I need to do something like for recovery for an injury, or if I need to work a specific strength for, for something, I will do it. But on the rest, I would feel okay. Like, guys, what are my my energy level uh, what mm-hmm. it allows me to do no and, and what's more important like uh, uh i think that's a problem especially in pro athletes that you say okay i have all the day so i do my my specific training and then i have a lot of hours so i can do strength training and i can do like uh these uh these exercises and stretching and all that and that it it, it also demands a lot of energy so maybe then in your other like uh key session like you know your other like a session you will not be able to to push as much as you want because like you are tired so i i'm more thinking okay it's is this giving me a a a big benefit if it's no and it's giving me like problems because i don't have the recovery then it's like a mm. no go so i think it needs to uh, yeah exercises that i do they need to not interfere on like uh, the 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 main training program yeah if if that's the case then i will do it but if not no well you have that dad strength now too so i'm sure you're lifting up those kids sometimes yeah um but you know one of the things that as you made this change in 2018 2019 um and started recording some of this data which i cannot wait until the listeners see because it is fascinating so um for for perspective for the listeners the since the, since 2021 we're talking about 58% zone 1 training 19% zone 2 16% zone 3 4% zone 4 and 3% zone 5 that is a large quantity of zone 1 work um perhaps more than you would see in some o- 
other runners, especially some of your competitors. Um, was that a conscious decision? And when you made that decision, what what spurred it on? Like what led to that big change from the zone two work you had been doing before? Mostly because like uh, I, I want, I, I do more like also zone three and zone four on training than before, because before it was only racing. Yeah. So then like, if I want to do quality sessions in, in zone three, zone four, I need to be, to be well rested. Mm. So then it's like a uh, more zone one. And especially like I do a lot of zone two in winter, like on skis, it's almost like all my training is zone two. But then in the summer, uh, I try to do like, uh, mostly like my easy runs easy. And then, uh, also uh, I'm very good, I think on, on, on fat burning. Yeah. So for me, it's very easy to do like uh long days um, on a decent speed when i'm like at 110 120 pulls per minute and that's wow. well. so then it's i think that's also like for me it, it works very well uh, i think then like some other athletes probably uh, if they have another metabolism they they will struggle more to do zone one and it will be more efficient more beneficial to do zone two but for me, it works well, and then I feel that I'm rested well for do the the two or three key sessions of the week that they are more on zone three and four. One thing that I love about your key sessions is that you're often incorporating kind of a combination of workouts within one one main workout. This is something that we we often do a lot in our own coaching. We'll give something like five by three minute hills and then a 15 minute flatter ground tempo after. How have you, it seems like some in a lot of your workouts, you're combining uphill efforts and then following that by kind of these like flat ground combination workouts. How have you found that those are effective for you? And has that been something that you've been using for a while in your training? Yeah, like, uh, I've been always training kind of on the terrain, like, uh, and, and now the, if I do something more like specific, even I go to the track or if I do like a flat, I will try to, to do some kind of effort that it's a bit more related to the race because hmm. yeah, like, uh, I could do like a four month of a track workout and be able to run like on the track. Like, I don't know what, uh, uh, 55 uh, seconds loops uh, mm -hmm. on the track, but that will never happen in a mountain race. Like <laughs> I, I prefer to be able to run like a, a 65 um, uh, seconds loop in the track after uh, doing uphills when I'm tired. That's what it will represent more a race. So like it's try to see, okay, what, what it really, when the race are decided, what I need to feel, what I need to, to be able to do. And, and that's like, uh at the end of the race you have been like having like a lot of muscle work from uphills and downhills you have been uh yeah working a lot uh on the energy levels because it's it's been long and and then you need to do the the work no? so i think that's uh that's something that uh especially in the last year uh, i've been introduced a lot to yeah find this the, the sweet spot of of uh yeah of the race and, and then work from that before Megan asks the question on that, I want to say that I have seen some of those workouts on Strava. I mean, I'm a avid Strava fan of yours, of course. Uh, as we, a we get close to being stalkers yeah. at this point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, as coaches, we want to learn from what the the goat, the greatest of all time, is doing mm -hmm. because I think it's really important, especially with our pro athletes. And some of the sessions you have done on flats after hills, I'm like, wow, you have trained that specifically so well, and it is so impressive. Um, so yeah, sorry, you, you're going to ask the question. Actually, though. that parallels exactly into what I was thinking about asking, which is we have a common catchphrase in this house, which is how fast can Killian run something? So whether it's like a, a local hill around our house or a mountain, or even like how fast can Killian make love to the mountain? We have all these like, <laughs> questions of how fast can Killian do things. But one question I we actually were talking about at dinner last night was, how fast can Killian run a road marathon? And I think the answer to that is actually pretty fast. Have you ever wanted to dabble in like and really do a, a focused year or a specific block towards faster, flatter racing? Yeah, it was actually two years ago, so 2020, that I, I, I wanted to do more road and, and just to try how it is and, and try to do different distances there. And uh, I was actually, it was very interesting because I... Uh, I found out that uh, I was uh, training very well for like two, three weeks and mm -hmm. then getting injured. Mm -hmm. 
mm. uh, like small injuries, but like a, a pulbalgy or like a more like on the yeah articulations and especially around the hips or in the um, so it was always like three weeks get injured then like couldn't run so I was climbing and cycling for uh, one month and then three weeks training super well then injured and that happened like all the year round um, and I think the biggest problem uh, for that for me it was like uh, getting injured because I was able to to run quick. Uh, like training for for that two three weeks like do good workouts but then I was uh, yeah getting yeah getting a syringer. so I think the problem is more like if I want to run a a quick marathon in the flat I would need to have the consistency of like run for months on on, on what I was doing and then probably I was doing too much too like I was thinking okay if I can do that on mountains I just translate that into into the flat so like I was first week tra training the flat, I was doing 200 K, mm -hmm. uh, with like, uh, like four sessions of intensity in the week. So then I think that was also a big mistake, but, but, uh, yeah, I think the biggest problem or like the biggest difference is like that mechanically is very different. Yeah. I think my answer. So to, I'm going to answer that question too, before Megan, uh, or before UTMB, I would have said, oh, you know, Killian, I bet he could run like a 208 marathon. He's that good. And then after UTMB, I'm like, he could run 158. I will <laughs> never doubt you again after having COVID and doing that performance at UTMB. Um, but, you know, digging back into your training um, for these trail races, one of the really distinct things that I loved in what you do are these progression long run or pr progression tempos where you maybe start in zone two, zone three, build up a little bit and finish a little harder. What's the rationale behind them? And how often do you do those types of progression tempo efforts? Um, I do short ones, like probably one every week, wow. but the long ones, like, uh, I did, um, before Zigama, I did, uh, two of them that they were like 50 K, uh, on the mountain. So like not a lot of like 50 K two thousand meters of elevation and the last 20 K like at the race space. Um, so those are hard, very hard workouts. And I, yeah, I was doing like, uh, in the four or like in the six weeks before Zegama, I was doing two of them. So like mm -hmm. letting two weeks between each of them because it's uh, the, yeah, uh, yeah, the recovery is, is a bit harder and, and you can get very fit from it, but then like uh, you can get also very tired from it. So I, I don't want to do a lot of them if they are especially this long, like more than 40K tempos. But then like, I think it's good to do like, 20, 30 K on that kind of a speed is good to do. Yeah, yeah. One, one every week. Wow. That's, I mean, that's really interesting. And I think a little different than a lot of people train and, you know, fascinating to think about. So, you know, in terms of how that structures into a particular week, let's think about, all right, you're in early July or let's say June between Zagama and hard rock, you're training hard. How would you structure a typical week for yourself? Are you coming in? knowing what you're going to do or do you just adjust based on how you feel and some of those metrics you're looking at and what does the weekly schedule look like for you so I, I know what i want to do on that week uh so i want to do like uh these two three key sessions but then like the day i will do it that uh, i don't know that it will depends a bit on on feeling so i will be able to to switch like uh, if today i feel a bit worse like i i put it tomorrow or or that but mostly it will be like um, bef between like uh, Zigama and Hard Rock, uh, at that point I wanted to do like a lot of uh, distance, so it was like around 200k per week. Um, that's like I don't know, like 170, 100, uh, uh, yeah, 170 yeah. miles, I think, something like that. And and then I was um, trying to to do uh, mostly two or three key sessions that it was one mostly like focusing on, on uphill and flat. So, uh, it can be like, uh, uh, one or two climbs of, um, of 700 meters and then like some kind of flat workout. It can be like, uh, 10 times one minute, uh, 10 times uh, one kilometer or like a 10 K like uh, tempo. And then another session that was more like, a uh, uh, increasing tempo like uh as we mentioned before um 
um that's most of it like uh, i would say then around that it's all like recovery runs uh and and then if i i was feeling that i wanted to do something specific for like working for uh the temperature like because it was warm in colorado or uh, about uh, i don't know like fueling i would do in these easy sessions like to put these other inputs that's a really interesting structure. And I love, I mean, the amount of intensity that you layer in is impressive. It it's takes, all the zone one work though that yeah, exactly. lets him do that. It's it's so cool. It's like inspirational to every athlete out there that finds themselves just wanting to, you know, hammer zone two or zone three all the time. It's yeah, the zone well, making love to the mountains plays out well. Yeah. It's, it's the chill approach. It's awesome. Do you have a general, so within that, that structure, do you have a general, and I'm sure this varies by race, but what is your general philosophy on tapering into races? I think, you know, your tapers have honestly worked really well given the the back-to-back -back races that you've pulled off. What does that classically look like for you and how does that vary by race? Um, this year, I, I was tapering more than, than previous years and mm -hmm. it worked well, especially for the ultras, I would say. For a short race, I don't think you need to taper a lot. Like uh, in 2019, before Zegama, I before Sierginal, uh, I think the week before Sierginal, I did uh, 220k then very easy the wow. week of the race but that was like not much of tapering but this year i was doing much more and, and for the ultras it worked i think much much better i arrived much fresher uh, and that was like for example like if i'm doing like 200k per week then the week uh before i would do like a 150 or 110 so almost like yeah down to 60 or, or even 50 percent of the volume and then the week of the race especially for ultras i was doing most like uh a lot of rest like two days of rest at least huh. and then just like 30 minutes like runs at zone one wow that was like uh the week of uh yeah do you do um, any strides or anything like that on race week no, 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 not for uh, for a ultra. Like I try to conserve. Like it's conservation. Like the, the workout yeah. is done, and then it's like just to have conservation. And 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 then for for short races, I I like to do one workout that week every on the week that is a bit faster, um, but not long. So it's just like to to move a bit faster with the legs, but that it don't takes kind of any a lot of energy. So nothing more than like uh, thirty minutes on intensity. Uh, so, so interesting. I mean, you're pushing this field forward in ways that I bet the research catches up to, like, I mean, even thinking about the taper research, so much of it aligns with what you're saying. Um, but you know, I think that sometimes the conventional wisdom and what athletes actually do have, uh, diverged a little. Um, so one more question on a specific training thing. How often do you do, uh, multiple sessions in a day, uh, doubles and things like that, particularly given that, as you said, you're not going over three or four hours very often. Um, every day, normally you do two trainings. Wow. So like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how, do you ever do double intensity sessions? So do you ever like classic Norwegian style to threshold type sessions in a single day? I do sometimes, um, it depends what I'm working for. And yeah, I do sometimes, uh, but mostly like, uh, zone three, zone four. Yeah. It can be one zone three, zone one zone four in the, in the afternoon. Um, yeah, that happens. And I would say far away from the season a bit more uh so the winter no it's is not an intensity but then like in this before the races like this two three months before the first races then i do some of those and then when it's racing season then i i don't then i i just keep one strong session maximum per day yeah that's awesome. And one, one more question because i know that there's people listening to this and we have a lot of pro athletes that listen to this mm -hmm. podcast they're like just Ask Killian, what would he tell me? And so let's say there's a 22-year-old athlete who's either a pro or is aspiring pro. Is there any particular piece of training advice you would give them from your journey and what you've learned? Uh, I think what the best advice uh, someone told me before, uh, before it's, it was like when I was a kid, it was to not focus on the results, like just mm -hmm. focus on the process and enjoy the process. Like, <laughs> I, I think like, it's not any magic training session, like that don't exist. Like it's not this special workout that will make you strong. What you need is to do like work and work every day, like for, for months and for years. <laughs> and is this accumulation of like stimuli that will make you good. And, and for that, you need to enjoy training and, and 
And I think if you focus a lot on the result and, and results, they can come, they can't, like it, it, it depends of uh, so many factors. So like uh, your training commitment will just go up and down depending of like the the results. And, and that's like, that's not good for making adaptations. So just like I'm focusing on the, on the process, on the training, love the training, like, uh, just like it's so fun to train it's so nice it's to, it's 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 great to see improvement and then the racing is just like a, a validation of it but just i i would say yeah uh, forget about results and just focus the the process make love to the training exactly, yeah, well, exactly. I, love, I mean i'm seeing your face light up right now as you're talking about training and talking about the process and it's so clear that it's like it's fun well and it's just like like so megan um you know she's super pregnant right now she's 32 weeks pregnant but she's also gone through these heart conditions and you know, one of the best athletes in the world at her peak today, she walked on the treadmill for an hour and she comes up and she's just like, I crushed it. And she was so happy about the training. Actually, I think what I said is I'm fucking fit after walking <laughs> yeah. at three miles an hour on the treadmill. And it was like, I feel like I just, I really, really appreciate that the process approach, because I feel like the process applies to wherever you are in life. Like, even if yeah. you're starting out super deconditioned, there's always a process to building back up to three miles an hour. I guess as we transition to kind of the last part of this podcast. One big question I have is that you're balancing a crap ton of processes in yeah. life. So you're a dad, you're, you know, you've been hard at work on business. You've had all this training, you've had all this racing. What is it like to balance it all? And what is the hardest part of finding and trying to achieve that balance? Um, I think it's, it's to, to be able to say no first, <laughs> like to, to, to focus on what, uh, what you want to do and what it, you like it. And, and I think that's for me, it's been the hardest, I would say, uh, to say, okay, I want to train well. I want to focus on my, uh, on the training. I want to focus on being a dad and I want to focus on like, uh, uh, the, uh, normal, like, uh, about, uh, designing products and, and about, uh, uh, the foundation, the rest. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want, and even if it's uh, like a, a, a super good offer for something that is like, no, it's a no. <laughs> and, and, and that's like, uh, being very clear on that. I think that's what helped me to, to be able to, to try to do well, what I'm doing, uh, on each of, of them. And then like to try to have time for, for all of them. So when I'm, of course, these moments where you can like do things together, for example, like on some of the easy runs I have been doing like working meetings, like just have like the, the, the headphones and like be like scrambling or like, uh, easy <laughs> run and like having like, a uh, like a job interview for a candidate or like, uh, desire the, the deciding things. So like, uh, or like, uh, just like, uh, training with my daughters, like, uh, doing a ski tours, like easy. So of course you can like, uh, combine the things. But most is like when you are like full focus on something, you need to have dedicated time for that. So like during the day, I know that if those hours are for training, then I can like fully commit on training. And then I know that in the night when like girls are asleep, then I can work, uh, but be very like not try to put all together. So then you feel like you are stressed about everything, but just like to, to be able to, to find the good times for, for it. Yeah. If we can interview you again, I really need you to be scrambling while we're doing it. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> Getting a Strava yeah. segment as we're, as we're talking yeah. about yeah. the podcast. And I mean, for the listeners, right now it is, I believe, 9.50 in Norway, 9.50 p.m. Yeah. And so Killian did this after his full day of work. And it means so much, especially knowing you've been very open about being an introvert and, um, you know, the training being like a, a respite from that. So it means a lot that you're here. And especially means a lot that you're helping to change running through normal, um, your company. So I've heard from some pro athletes that have talked with the brand or about the brand or have signed with the brand, how much you're changing the way the focus, what the focus is like the focus really is on the process for the athletes too. Um, how are things going with normal? Where are you at with that? And, um, you know, what's the future hold? Well, yeah, it's, it's super exciting because first I'm learning a lot. Like I, I knew a bit of like product and about uh, marketing, which is like what it, it kind of interested me the most like at the beginning but i'm learning a lot about like uh business which like i i didn't care at all uh, <laughs> about that but but it has a big uh a big impact when it comes also to to the sustainability to the to the impact uh, that we have because like at the end like you can make like super sustainable products if you base everything on like uh, overconsumption, like 
uh, is nothing going to change. Uh, so like uh, learning more about like a business, business models, learning more about like all this supply chain, like all that, like it's, uh, I'm learning a lot. And I think we have a wonderful team of people that they have the same kind of mindset. And it's just like to do things honestly. Uh, and that's what we want to do, just like to not be, uh, yeah, just to, to be very transparent of what we are doing, where we want to go and, and just, it's, I think, not to not to talk a lot, but just to do things. Like I, I love this uh, quote, like talk minus action equals zero. And I think like yeah, you you need to do things to to keep moving, and and to accept that you have you are not perfect. That it's a lot of things to to make it better, but to work towards that direction. And that's what we want to do. Yeah, I mean. It's just very, it's just so exciting. And one of the, my favorite things that everyone's talking about now is you only used a couple pairs of shoes in your training for these races, right? So you're really living by your sustainability um, principles with normal. And for the podcast listeners, they know I have a shoe problem and love to order shoes. <laughs> like, uh, has that been- a Me too, I'm, I'm very geek with gear. So that's, I'm, yeah. I'm working also this issue, yeah. Yeah, it's, David I'm, loves his shoes. The, I've had to almost stage an intervention at this point as a wife. The yes. problem is even <laughs> after all these years as a coach and being a pro athlete and being sponsored and stuff, to this day, if I see you wear a shoe, I'm like, that shoe is amazing and I need to have it now. Uh, it works. Um, so the first time I'm going to get my hands on normals as soon as I can, and I'm going to be promoting them everywhere. But, um, you know, do you envision this company becoming a competitor or, you know, like a big international brand? Um, to Solomon or, you know, a company like that? Is this, is that future something that you're dreaming about in the process of it? Um, like, that's what I mean, that I don't care about business. Is like, I, I don't really care, like, how <laughs> big we are or whatever we do. But I think it's it's good to to have, like, to focus, as, as I mentioned before, is to focus on the process. Like, and what we want to do is, like, products that they, like, for example, the shoes, is that, like, the goal was to make a shoe that was able to, that I, yeah, that an athlete could do like long, short distance. So we don't need to have different pair of shoes and that it's durable. So that was the goal and that's the process. And then we will see if, if people like it and then if the business grows. And that means that probably we can like invest more money on like the processes. And, and I think it's more on that way. Like we, I believe that if we want to change things on the industry, it's about like, uh, yeah, not, not making like crazy claims, but just like working, working hard at every day. And then if, if people like it, it means that we are doing a good job and that uh, then we can grow and we can invest on doing a better job. I don't know if I've ever loved someone as much as I love Killian. I was just going to say that I absolutely love that response, but you know, I don't really care about business, but we're going for it. The we're business gonna... process. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so cool. Actually, I'm a big fan as well of Emily. She's just an incredible person. And is she, so David and I, we've, you know, we've had this business together of coaching, of writing, of podcasting, and it's really interesting to be in a relationship with your business partners, so to be partners and business partners at the same time. I talk to David quite differently than I would to any coworker, and he puts up with that well. But is Emily involved in the business, and what is that like, having that connection um, between the two of you? Well, like, yeah, of course, like, we, we share, like, uh, a lot of things, and, and also, like, yeah, she's... Uh, She's a sponsor by normal, but also like all the athletes, like that uh, they are a sponsor. Like we want them to be like part of the of the process, so like be much more involved on like the design and also on the in the business uh, part of it on the on the ways that we see things. So mm, to be them more like yeah, that they can say what they think and they can like be part of of this kind of decision taking at that level. Um, but also like uh, yeah, it's it's just like try to be open with things and, and, and say what we think and, and, and working together. I think, um, of course, if it's your partner, like you understand each other on a, on a way that it's uh, very deep. So you don't need to, to explain a lot and you, you see what, where you are going. And, and I think that's, uh, that's great. And, and even if it's like the, the people on, on a company, and I believe that's like for everything, it's, it's very important. It's, it's, uh, the talent it's important but it's more important the people and if you have like good relationships like uh, of course like if it's your your partner in life it's it's easy but also like that you are friends with others that uh, people have the same vision that 
and they and, and you have this uh, um, feeling of okay, we are a team, and in the hard moments, like we stay a team because we are friends before everything. Mm. That that makes a, a big difference, I would say, and that's uh, that's probably part of. I don't know if the success of of uh, business uh, probably not, but at least like you are giving more and, and probably working better because like um yeah it's it's not only about business uh but it's about like uh, having like a quality life and that comes with like uh yeah yeah what means work uh work it's it's not only like uh, uh getting a paycheck at the end of the month that it's important but it's also like to to not f- to feel that you are doing something that you like it that's so beautiful. Um, yeah, my only request, the shoes I know are great. I've heard from people that they're great and we're going to be promoting them all the time, but is that you also make those white spandex shorts that you wore in Western States in 2010? Oh, uh, no honor. way. <laughs> That's all I want. All I want are a pair of white Killian shorts. Killian, I was so yeah. impressed. Yeah. I, I was like, honestly, perhaps more impressed. Actually, no, I, I can't be more impressed yeah. by by that than your UTMB finish, but that was impressive. I was more impressed. That was impressive. <laughs> that was yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was, we had guides that, yeah. <laughs> so last, last question um, is, you know, you said all these things today that, you know, I'm here nearly crying in times because it just feels so validating to hear you speak and it feels so motivating. What do you want your legacy to be in not just the sport, but in the world? Um, you know, we, we've talked on this podcast about you being the greatest of all time. Um, but we also say on the podcast, we don't care about running. Like running is a template for us to talk about other things and hopefully help people in other ways. And, you know, I, we think your legacy goes so far beyond running. So yeah. What do you want your legacy to be? Uh, well, like, um, it's something that I, I think I, if I think too much about that, it means that then I'm working towards something that it's, it's maybe not the same I would do if I didn't think about that. <laughs> so I try to not think, because of course I'm, I'm in a position where like, uh, it's many people that it's following me and, and, and it will be a very like false modesty if, if I was saying, oh no, I don't, I don't care or I don't think about that because it, it exists. But uh, I would say, no, I, I try to really do the things when it comes to sport, like to do things because I, I like them and because it has a, a motivation that is like 100% uh, internal motivation. And then for the rest of it, I think it's just like to to try to to be honest and to not try to build a legacy, but try to do good things. And, and that's like... Uh, when I will die, like uh, uh, after a few months or whatever, like we forget about uh, about mm-hmm. things, and, and that's that's super cool. I, I would say, like it's so cool to when I will stop like a sport career, like uh, I will be unknown again, and and I think that's that that's very very good uh, because then it's just like your actions that that matters, and it's just like okay, I will try to do good things, and and I don't care if people will remember or not, but. Uh, what I can do, like uh, the hard work, I, I hope it stays there. Killian, that's so beautiful. I'm sitting here. It's a process-based legacy. Yeah, and you know, it's it's so great. The, how Killian and I are different because if I were Killian, I would have just been like, the white spandex shorts are my legacy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that probably will stay. Yeah, that that's uh, <laughs> yeah. long after we're all dead. Uh, future civilizations will be worshiping Killian in the white shorts. Actually, we need to make some like baby white white shorts. We yeah. need to start the legacy here. Yeah. Oh, for our kid, for our little exactly. boy, for little Killian, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we we're so appreciative of you, everything you do for the sport. Uh, can't wait to see where everything goes from here. Thank you for being on the podcast, Killian. And I think we can confidently say we love you and we wish you the best in absolutely everything. We're so grateful. Thank you for being on this podcast and thank you for being on like almost every other one of our podcasts as we talk about Killian's stories and Killian legacies. And, and Killian, in Megan's stomach right now too. And Killian white shorts. So you're everywhere. So just thank you so much for all that you do. No, thank you very much. It's been a, a huge pleasure and yeah, hope to cross paths uh, with you soon in, in some mountains. Oh, we're so excited. We'll oh, be in Norway within a few years of this baby's oh, being Oh, within born. a few months. Well, we need to have him <laughs> meet his namesake. <laughs> exactly. All right, Killian, have an amazing day. Thank you for everything. You too. Woohoo. Bye. Woohoo. 
Thank you so much for everyone for listening. Biggest thanks for Killian for putting up with our questions, for answering in such a candid and beautiful way. I'm walking away from this interview just grinning ear to ear, excited to put up these like training in life and philosophy implementations into my own life. And I'm stoked. I'm going to stuff them all right down the uh, front of my white (laughs) spandex shorts. Um, So while you're here, uh, we want to give a plug to patreon.com slash swap. Um, That's where you can find all of our work and um, bonuses and bonus podcast every single week we get into lots of cool things from killian's training uh to really fun non-running things too and uh, we hope you join us there we engage with community members there it's been super fun to answer people's questions no question is stupid on patreon actually no question is stupid in life yeah killian would agree but I'm, i probably asked killian some stupid questions but the one question that i wish i had asked him is what does he think of athletic greens is he an athletic greens user i i feel like he might be he might be you know he thinks a lot about his hrv he talked about that yeah. as a key metric. So, you know, he's got a pretty, he's he's got a pretty, like, it's interesting. You know, he does these deep dives on training and then a pretty minimalist approach yeah. to other things. So I'd be curious, but he thinks a lot about his HRV. So I wouldn't be surprised if he stumbled <laughs> upon it because it makes a big difference. Unfortunately, in his training post, he talked about supplements and said he kind of keeps it limited. He's taking vitamin D, things like that. But I wish I'd asked him about supplements truly, genuinely. Um, you know, David, you're a pretty good salesperson for yeah. Athletic Greens. I'm not going to lie. You, if we had talked about it with him, you might have convinced him. Oh, you think I could convince Killian of something? I mean, perhaps. That's true. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe next time. But uh, for all those at home, if you want to have the power of Killian, or at least the power of white spandex shorts, athleticgreens.com slash swap, S-W-A-P. Um, we are huge fans, and it has like, revolutionized my running. Um, but you know what? We just need to get back to Killian. What a guy. Seriously, thank you so much, Killian. That was amazing. And thanks for listening to this point. You all are the best. Woohoo! Huzzah!